Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know, David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown. And we hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. We sure do. So, is consensual non-monogamy a lifestyle that you find perplexing? Are you confused about the terminology and the nuances of various styles of sexual expression that include other people or other couples? On today's show, we tackle the history and evolution of swinging, open relationships and polyamory. The differences and similarities of the various alternative sexual lifestyles are as intriguing as the reasons why people have consensual extramarital sex and relationships, according to the research. And we have the guru of research coming on in a few minutes, but as we do on every show let me tell you about our must-have top waterproof blanket which now comes in four reversible colors because nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot and squirt is hot until it's not so if you're fed up with having to sleep in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex then you need one of our top waterproof blankets it's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils, silicone lubes and all other sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply go to Amazon and search for Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket and order yours today great sex starts now it sure does and before we forget we want to invite you to join us with april and scott from the naughty gym as they host their first full takeover of hedonism 2 in jamaica for the week of january 6th to 13th 2024 we're going to be there broadcasting on location for their first one-of-a-kind Sexy Fitness Week. And for more information about this, please go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com. Alrighty, let's get on with the show. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. And we have a really special guest with us today. He actually was the first guest we interviewed six and a half years ago um, when we first started doing our podcast. Dr. Edward Fernandez, also known as Dr. Ziggy, is a leading researcher and expert on the swinging lifestyle and on and a lot of other uh, ethical non-monogamy. Absolutely. And like I just said, it's been a while. Um, but Dr. Ziggy, thank you so much and welcome back. Very quite welcome. So glad to be back. I remember that first show. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. You know, you know, when we first yes. started doing our podcast six and a half years ago, we had no idea where it was going to go. And now, um, six and a half years later, how we many have, hundred episodes? We have almost four hundred episodes. We've had five hundred guests. We have a million listeners. And um, it's all because of great experts like you that we've been so successful and we're so looking forward to hearing about what uh, other research you've done in those six and a half years and, and telling us about um, everything related to the lifestyle and open relationships and poly and all that stuff. 
Well, why don't we start by just reminding us, us about how and why you got into researching the swinging lifestyle? It's actually an interesting story. Um, I was doing my um, undergrad degree, and I approached the chair of the, of the department, and I asked them about the possibility of doing a research on swinging for my um, senior paper. And you looked at me with a very, very grave, um, a, a suspicious look, I'd say, and said, wait until you get your PhD, then you can do whatever you want. Uh-huh. And so that started my interest because I had just watched the show by Geraldo Rivera um, that declared swinging dead. Plato's retreat to New York at close in the mid-70s, in the mid-80s, I should say, because of the uh, AIDS epidemic. And Geraldo basically said that swinging is dead. And I wonder if swinging was as dead as the um, uh, the um, safe that he opened in Chicago, which t- was absolutely empty uh-huh. when he thought it was be full. Uh-huh. So I decided to start investigating swinging, and basically that's how it started. I approached a um, at the time publisher of the only swinging magazine in Canada called Match. Right. Um, it was in uh, Oakville, Ontario. Took me six months to actually get to talk to him. Actually, to get him to talk to me, <laughs> uh, because he, every time I called, he had, would hang up the phone. And uh, so we finally met. We finally talked about it, and he told me that it was a lack of research, and he was very interested in um, helping someone looking at the lifestyle from a social scientific perspective. Yeah. And that's where my experience started. And uh, I remember the very first survey that I published in his magazine was 1989. And I haven't stopped since. Wow. And of course, the swinging lifestyle is so underground that there's, you know, it's it's good to send out the surveys because it's not something that we even hear about uh, in normal conversations. However, he said to me something that um, always stayed with me till today. He said, you can have all the surveys in the world until you actually sit down and talk to couples. You are going to know nothing. Right. And so he set me up a few interviews, uh, started off with a couple of uh, people that he knew and sort of grew from there. I started going to the swinging clubs in Toronto, which at the time there were only four. And all of a sudden I started to get people calling me from places like Buffalo, from New York people interested in what I was what I was trying to do, which is basically just very biasly just give a, uh, let's call it a Polaroid of the swinging scene at the time. Right. Um, so, and that became really, really interesting. Yeah. And of course, you're going to tell us a little bit about the history, but we know that a lot has changed since then. We've been in this lifestyle about 17, 18 years. I think we stopped counting now. And we've seen so many changes, which we're going to get into a little bit uh, down the line. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately? What's been going on with you? Well, I uh, retired from teaching after teaching psychology and sexuality for 32 years at university. And um, I'm still writing, and I'm still interested in putting together a book that will eventually get published before I die, I hope, <laughs> uh, which, uh, which basically looks at the history of swinging or non-monogamy 
in North America, going right back to the end of the 19th century, moving on to, to today, which will encompass, obviously, what I call the new swingers, with new crop of swingers that came up. Um, also something we should not forget, which is that swinging really parallels the evolution of society. It's something that goes together. So when we start talking about swinging as something very special, very different, um, we have to understand that uh, there are um, particular points in swinging that, that tend to parallel the epochs in which swinging takes place. So in the 50s, there were a certain way of looking at it, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and up until today, obviously. So, so Dr. Ziggy, let's, let's start um, way, way back. Let's pull that, that string way, way back, and let's start talking about ethical non-monogamy. You know, as a general term, it, it describes different parts of the lifestyle, correct? Well, let me suggest to you that swinging has always been ethical. That's the essence of swinging. There's a, a, um, a modern impression that swinging somehow was not ethical. It was. So the idea that, that uh, we tend to emphasize the ethical part of non-monogamy, well, swinging has always been ethical because swinging is a couple's sport. That's how I like to play it. It's the couple agrees to embark on a voyage through their sexual fantasies, through their sexuality, to explore together. So it's always been ethical. Um, but uh, so I guess to a certain extent, sometimes I get a little thrown off when people talk to me about the ethical part of swinging or the ethical part of non-monogamy. Uh, obviously, the unethical part of non-monogamy, we call it cheating, correct? Right, absolutely. And, Cheating is cheating, will always be cheating. So, and that doesn't apply to swinging. Not sure if I answered your question, but. Well, well, for sure, people get confused with the lifestyle. The average vanilla person out there, when you talk about the lifestyle, they have no idea. They're thinking about Martha Stewart and, and a lifestyle of how they live their life. They, know, they have no clue that we're talking about swinging. So, tell us a little bit the difference between the lifestyle and swinging. The term, okay, let, let's go back to the terminology, which I think it's important. The term, the lifestyle, came out of a book that was written in 1989 um, by a fellow I knew rather well that was a reporter that knew nothing about swinging. And he basically referred to it as the lifestyle because swingers tend to look at the way they live their lives um, differently from people from so-called vanilla world. So that the lifestyle came, came out of that. Um, in the 50s, we used to call them key clubs. Basically, people went to parties in, in suburbia, threw their keys in a hat, and picked the keys, and they went over with whatever partner uh, the key happened to belong to. Although that's kind of a misperception as well. There was a movie that was actually um, done about that, uh, something about the cold. I can't think of the name of it right now. Uh, then the, the terminology turned to wife swapping, which is a big thing that came into the 60s, wife swapping. And of course, didn't sit well with women, which said, uh, you're not just swapping wives, we're swapping husbands as right, well. Right, exactly. So, so that became partner swapping. Mm -hmm. and, and again, remember, swinging, the way we look at this uh, uh, process was a couple sport, was a couple. So there's always couples involved. 
Um, singles didn't start to come into the swinging scene, scene, I guess you can call it, up until about maybe the 80s, when, you know, you, you know, people were looking for um, bisexual women, single women, which would participate with the couples in exploring their fantasies. Um, bisexual men were never welcome into swinging up until the 90s, probably, because the idea was it was the fear of AIDS. Therefore, bisexual males, they automatically, they were, they were associated with AIDS and they were excluded. Uh, things have changed, obviously, as you guys know. Right. And uh, swinging is much more acceptable nowadays, which basically brings everybody and anybody into, let's call it the lifestyle, if you like. So that was sort of the difference that, uh, in the terminology. So swinging, the term itself, originated in England with the free love generation of the 60s. They were called swingers. And these were all single people that engaged in free love, free sexual activity. Everybody went into the pile. And swingers in North America sort of adopted the term as well to sort of represent their sexual activities as it were. So that's the difference overall. Right, right. Consensual non-monogamy became a term, and I attended the very first European consensual non-monogamy in 2012. So it's a relatively new term that has been used. Uh, but, well, I guess as they say, a rose by any other name <laughs> is still a rose. It's still going to so, smell sweet, was, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So that was the difference in the terminology, I think. Now, very often when now, I talk about the lifestyle versus swinging, I feel the lifestyle is a bigger term. Uh, swinging is part of the lifestyle because not everybody in the lifestyle is actually a swinger or shares his partner. So I really feel the lifestyle encompasses all sorts of openness, open sexuality, and um, trying new things and just really exploring as opposed to just simply swinging. Yes, I've always sort of looked at the lifestyle, and I've often referred to the lifestyle as a mindset, mm -hmm. much more so than just an event or, or a behavior per se. Right. Um, I have met people that, um, for instance, Desire, I did a few workshops at Desire, I met a few people that don't swing, but they like to be around swing. Exactly. They like to witness all the activities that go on although they may not necessarily themselves partake. So they're they exhibitionists. Are, no, it's, or they're, or, they're the voyeurs and, and the they, ones that are partaking, yes. Or exhibitionists, yes. Uh, people that engage in sexual activity with their partners right. in front of other people, but they don't consider themselves swingers right. per se. Right. But they're still part of that mindset of open sexuality. Mm -hmm. So the lifestyle is about open sexuality. Swinging is more related to the behaviors themselves. Um, and we could talk about many different behaviors that qualify as swing. Right, right. Say. But if you're in so, Europe and you talk about the lifestyle, they don't really know what you're talking about. It really is an American terminology. Probably stems from that book that you're mentioning. Yes. Uh, for instance, the in France, they talk about the échangistes, which yeah. means the exchange. Right. They exchange partners. Or, or they share partners, if you like. Yeah, or they um, libertin, which is their, their um, free. free freedom, sexual freedom. Yeah, yeah the libertines actually in, 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 in Europe, as not just in France, but in Europe overall, has a tradition that goes right back 300 years back, oh. in which the libertine or the liberta were people that 
would engage in all types of sexual activities, mm -hmm. some of them on the darker side of things. <laughs> there are many clubs in there that we can sort of go to. And they would apply even to the, often the BDSM people, which we now call pink. Right. But right. they were considered libertin or libertine as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also it's an offensive term. In, in, in Europe, if you call somebody libertin, meant that uh, you, you, you were... Um, uh, like, somebody that would have sex with anybody. Uh huh. Like anything goes, kind of thing. Right. And so now, when we slip in open relationships into this whole lifestyle swinging, how how is an open relationship a little bit different from swinging and swapping and the lifestyle? I I think it's a in question. It it regards basically how you define it, how or how the people themselves define it, because I think it always goes back to the the individuals, how they define certain things. For instance, uh, open relationships um, is a relationship in which both partners agree that it's okay for them to have sex with other individuals without necessarily ever telling each other. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the, in, in BDSM or kink, you have the consent to no consent. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you, you know you could have sex with other people, you don't have to necessarily tell your partner, or get your partner's permission at right. the time. That's an right. open relationship. Right. But well, I want to emphasize something that I find it very important to me, which is that the couple is still the primordial part of the process. It's all about the couple. It's not about destroying the relationship. The relationship in the couple is perhaps the most important thing there is. The sex is recreational. Right. And that's why it's consensual. They know what the other partner's doing, right. whether they want to hear the whole story or all the details or not, it's still consensual. Yes, absolutely. And and I could tell you stories about people I've interviewed that yeah. really interesting. Yeah, for, for another sure. time. Now when we throw in polyamory, I would like a full explanation of how that's similar and yet different. It's interesting. I I know the, the individual that has done probably the most research on polyamory, and her and I have had some interesting conversations and sometimes disagreements. <laughs> um, but because polyamory starts with the concept that you are opening your relationship to another individual or individuals. So polyamory, to, to be part of a relationship, there has to be at least three people. Okay that actually have an emotional uh, connection to each other and, and an, almost an emotional obligation to each other. Most polyamory relationships are not open to other individuals. They are just part of a process that has more than two people. So polyamory is about the emotional, not necessarily the, uh, the physical, as it were. I had a good friend um, in Raleigh, North Carolina, that was in a polyamory relationship, was herself and two guys. One of the guys was gay, which worked well within that triad, as it were. And uh, she said to me one day, she says, you know, I just one day I had to tell him I was going to go up to a bar and get laid because the, the, the triad wasn't just for me anymore. So these are basically the dynamics that you have within the, a, poly, uh, a polyamory relationship. Right. It is a relationship. And um, it reminds me quite often of the, of the old uh, communal or communes in which people were very much tied to each other emotionally. 
and they would not bring anybody else into that commune or part of that emotional connection. Mm -hmm. So that's polyamory overall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Carol and I, like Carol was saying, have been swinging for 17, 18 years, and we've noticed a lot of things that have changed. But one of the biggest changes that we've seen is how um, in control the female, the women are in the relation, in the lifestyle, in open relationships, in swinging, where basically they're the ones who are taking control of their sexuality. Have you seen that as well? Oh yes, there's a, there's a, an old saying, if I may quote this, that I got from a couple way way back when, uh, that men get women into swinging. And women keep men in swinging. That's it. Meaning that women are, by and large, very much in control of the whole process. And considering the fact that women, my perspective of it, uh, are far more sexual, have a much more wider sexual um, menu than men do, women probably will benefit much more from being in swinging and being in control. Also brings the couple together for so much more. But don't you think um, don't you think it's also become okay nowadays for women to say, "Hey, I want to have great sex" and get to choose where, you know, in the 50s and 60s they were always told what to do and and they were always in that missionary position and it was the husband who drove their sexual relationship? I think that there is um, uh, sort of a misperception as far as that's concerned as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, women were not allowed, let's call it as it is, were not allowed to express their sexual feelings. But I think by the 60s and the 70s, that had changed quite a bit. Uh, the 80s and the 90s, uh, obviously, uh, with information and with the, the especially the, um, uh, the evolution of feminism per se, women were much more likely to um, express their feelings and express their needs and desires. Absolutely. Right. But if you look at the other side of the coin, which I think is really interesting, which is the fact that um, swinging also allowed men to explore mm-hmm. um, in not just in terms of uh, same-sex um, interactions, but also explore with, with other women and sort of um, up their, their repertoire, as it were. Uh, swinging allowed people to um, express their fantasies, something which most often people didn't do completely, and also allowed for a much um, honest interaction in the couple itself. Women could go to their husbands and say, well, I like this and I'd like to try that. And the husband could also express, well, I'd like to try this and I'd like to try that. So allowed for a much wider um enjoyment of sex altogether i think yeah and when you thought uh, learned about uh, swinging in the 50s and 60s like those key parties you talked about were women into it or do you feel that back then men brought them into it the little research that we have um unfortunately there wasn't much research being done at that time the little research that we have uh suggested that by and large women uh, were in agreement with it okay um although there were particular um anecdotes of situations where women suggested that they were sort of pushed into a situation that they didn't necessarily uh wanted to get into but you also can look at the other side of things because um 
perhaps women never thought that they would enjoy something other than either sex with their husbands or by themselves, which mm-hmm. well, actually was the case a lot of times, because like like uh, uh, you, you suggested, men were very much stuck into the uh, uh, let's do it missionary position and there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that perspective, even men were missing quite a lot in terms of that perspective. Yeah. I think this, the, the 60s changed a lot of those things. And by the 70s, we are already seeing an evolution towards what we have nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to think that nothing started to happen until the, the new millennial, but I am afraid to tell you, by the 70s, a lot of things were going on, absolutely. Yeah, and of course, again, we didn't have internet back then. We, it was hard to even know what was going on unless you were there. And unless you interviewed people. Right, there you and go. And they were willing to tell you. And God, I'll tell you, the uh, some of the interviews that I had some of the stories were just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. It opened my horizons, it really did, and uh, made me realize that sex was more than just orgasm. Mm-hmm. Right. So Dr. Ziggy, than- so, so Dr. Ziggy, based on your research, we get this question all the time. Why do swingers swing? What is the main reason that they do it? Uh, you got a couple of weeks, I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the reasons are... Uh, varied, depends on the individual themselves. Um, I think to to a great extent, if I was to sort of um, give you uh, an overall perspective, I think fantasies have a lot to do with it. Uh, in, uh, and the opportunity to explore those fantasies. Um, traditionally, the research suggests that by about the end of the first year of marriage, most couples start to get into a very basic routine of sex. By the time the fifth or sixth year comes around, sex has become routine. Um, Hi, dear, how are you? Excuse me, I'll be behind you. I'll let you know when I'm done, and goes on like that. And I think swinging has uh, allowed people to look beyond the immediate horizons of what sex is all about. I think people have learned to know themselves sexually, which quite often people haven't been able to do. Uh, if you ask most people, so who are you sexually? They're going to look at you like you've got three heads, mm-hmm. and they're not going to respond to you. They're going to think you are really weird because you just asked them a really weird question. And it's weird because I never thought about it. Yeah. I mean, I often tell people, think of the things that turn you on Think of the things that you use to as sort of the um, uh, the background of your masturbation. What do you masturbate to? And people will go, it's none of your business, yeah. which I think is really an interesting answer. Uh, most guys will go, well, you know, uh, well, maybe after a few drinks, the guys will be able to talk just to talk about this, that, and the other. Uh, and this is why we look when we look at swinging, we see so many activities that are part of the swinging. Uh, protocol, as it were. Um, I think we talked at some point about hot wifing and coldry and and dogging and anything in between that happens. Those are all part of the fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And we have a hard time acknowledging our own fantasies. Yeah, and even recognizing that those are fantasies. And some fantasies don't have to be fulfilled, but when you have an outlet for them and you can actually figure that, hey, I might be able to try this, 
uh, that could be something that intrigues people and they might want to try getting a second partner or a third partner if you want to have uh, a foursome uh, and trying those fantasies. So so another question that we get, Carol, that's a great segue into what I was thinking is, you know, people are always asking us, and I'm sure you have the research behind it, is, okay, now you're fucking other people. How do you keep that love and passion alive in your primary relationship? Basically, um, what swinging does is increases the trust in the couple, or between the couple, if you like, also allows you to sort in a weird way to value value your partner much more than perhaps you did before. This may sound strange to people, but watching your partner have sex with someone, enjoying yourself or himself, also brings you closer to your partner. And when you now have sex with that with your partner itself, I think that sort of improves the overall perspective of it. Um, Man, there's, there's, there's some research that was done in terms of um, sperm competition. The idea that men, when they're separated from their partners and they have sex with their partners, produce far more sperm than they do on a regular basis if they have intercourse with them all the time. So there's that, that part of, of it that you can say maybe there's a voyeuristic component to it. Maybe there's a jealousy purpo- uh, um, uh, portion of it. Um, there, but there is, most couples would say that the sex between them has increased tremendously. Well, certainly there's the thrill. Really, Absolutely. When you have that thrill and you see yeah. your, yourself with another partner or your partner with somebody else, you, it is thrilling and it does bring up the excitement. And like you said, that trust, and then there's that bonding that goes with it because now you're trusting each other more. You're spending time together. You're doing thrilling things but together. But there's also that communication we have when we come home and, you know, we had that great uh, fun time at the club with that couple from L.A., and we, we've been talking about it for a week and he fucked you on the side, something we don't normally do. And I got to do anal with her and we spoke about that. And it's just it, the, our conversations are always full of energy after we, we play with another couple. Yes, I um, I knew one of the couples that own one of the clubs in Toronto called Society Couples. This goes back to the 90s. And I think they lasted up until maybe the early 2000s or so. But one of the things that, that they told me was the fact that after every experience, the day after every experience, they go out for breakfast to a public place. And this is the reason for the public place is so we can talk about the experience of last night. And there is something that I didn't like or she didn't like. She can refer to me then. And if there's something we really enjoy, perhaps would like to try ourselves, we communicate that as well. He says that the breakfast is, uh, is almost a uh, um, an analogy to sort of you've all sort of you've eaten together through that experience that you had, and now you can share that um, enjoyment towards your partner and and make your sex better. Yeah, absolutely. Or if something that bothers you. He says, well, she couldn't yell at me in a public place, so this is why we went to breakfast. You know, if someone were to ask us why we swing, we would say to strengthen our couple. Yes, the excitement. Yes, the adventure. Yes, meeting other people and having great friends. And we've spoken over the years about swinging being about the people, not about the sex. But for us, if we go into a swinging relationship, we want to come out a stronger, better couple. 
Right. That's our goal when we get to a resort or a club or a party. That's what we want to do. Just be stronger after. There's, there's something that people forget. If we were all born with the same level of libido and liking the same things, swinging probably wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. But because people have different levels of libido, even at different times of day or different times of the month or different times of the year, uh, and people like different things. So to, to, to have a couple that likes exactly the same thing, what I call sexual twins, they like exactly the same thing, that's very unlikely to happen. So this allows you to explore different things, to share with your partner something that you may enjoy that she or me or he may not, uh, but it is part of something that is your sexuality per se. Mm-hmm. So swinging allows that. And you don't have many things in life that allows that level of communication. For sure. You just don't. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Uh, we're just going to take a quick break here. We'll remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We're Carol and David, and we're having an amazing discussion with Dr. Ziggy all about polyamory and all sorts of types of consensual non-monogamy, including a lot about swinging. Coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters, where we'll talk more about couples engaging in the swinging lifestyle and what it does for them and, the, and their family and, and their life in general. Now let's tell everybody about Topless Travel and the amazing trips that we have planned for this year and next year. Absolutely. And if you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply must book with Topless Travel. From Hedonism 2 in Jamaica, Desire in Cancun, and all the Bliss Cruise adventures, Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. And of course, their trips are all about pushing boundaries, exploring your naughty side, and meeting and partying with tons of sexy fun people. Let's just shout out to all their exclusive sexy host couples, including Party Mark, and we know they're all there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. You betcha. And you're going to find us on many of the Topless Travel trips. But listen up. We'll be back at Hedonism 2 for their topless hedonistic Halloween event from October 21st to 28th, 2023. It's going to be a pre-Halloween week-long bash. And we'd love for you to join us there. And for 2024, Topless Travel is putting together not one but two bucket list trips from which we will of course be broadcasting first we're going to be exploring the ancient pyramids of egypt followed by a seven-day riverboat cruise down the nile from march 2nd to 13th 2024 and on the second bucket list trip we'll be heading to kenya for an african safari to witness the great migration glamping in the wild savannah from september 2 to 11 2024 space is very limited on both of these trips and there's only a few spots left absolutely so if you don't want to miss out on any of these amazing trips with some awesome, sexy, fun, open-minded friends, then go and book your spot today. Do it before it's too late. And for more information about these trips or any of the Topless Travel events, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the Topless Travel Events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Just do it. Alrighty, this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David. Now let's get back to our show where it's our favorite part of the show, where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So we got started on the last segment, but I want to get more into the culture of swinging and how it's reserved mostly for hetero heterosexual couples and also now that lately bisexual playing has increased over the years and I want to talk a little bit more about that kind of exploration. So Dr. Ziggy, let's talk about this whole thing being heterosexual couples and how it was even in the 50s and 60s and how it's now pushing more into bisexuality. Well, 
if if I can quote statistics, uh, although I hate quoting statistics overall, but statistically, there are far more heterosexuals than there are anything else, uh, by a lot. Um, I was always interested uh, why there weren't more bisexual people uh, in in the in the lifestyle, if you like, and I was also interested in knowing if there was such a thing as swinging amongst um, homosexual couples. So I sort of took a foray into that, and I spoke to a few gay friends that I had. I spoke to some lesbian friends that I had, and what I found is that um, within the gay community per se. They not, didn't necessarily call it swinging, but sharing of partners was something that was almost expected anyways. With the lesbians, I was told um, that now that they were very, very monogamous and very, very seldom did you encounter lesbians that engaged with uh, other lesbians outside of their particular relationships. So... This goes back to the 70s and 80s and 90s, up, right up until the 2000s when I, when I sort of was looking for information. Um, what I found now is for the last 15 years, I would say, there's, um, there's been an introduction of everybody into swinging or the lifestyle, if you like. Um, it's been open to uh, most individuals. I remember the time where single males were very much outcast or kept out of swinging, talking about heterosexual um, single males, because as somebody put it to me specifically that back then, they don't bring anything into the game. Uh, I know a party that I attended in Toronto in the towards the end of the 90s where um, single males were first allowed to join the largest swingers party and that turned into a big fiasco <laughs> mainly because the guys that didn't know the rules right and the rule basically is just because these are swingers doesn't mean that the women are part of a meat market and you can't just go and get them all yeah see this is all about the women it's not it's not because you paid your money it doesn't mean that you automatically going to have sex right so um that has changed because a lot of single guys now actually enjoy their interaction with women. Women also enjoy the fact that they can have two or three guys to choose from or to play with, for that matter. Um, so there's been an opening up uh, in, in the swinging community, which follows, as I had suggested before, the evolution in society overall. Um, gays are much more accepted out there uh, in terms of their interactions um, than they were 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's part of, of an evolution that, that you see it. It doesn't mean that some single guys still don't know the rules because one of the things that is important to swinging is there are rules. There is an etiquette that you must follow. This is not a free-for-all. This is not there for your pleasure. This is there for the couple's pleasure, right. not yours. Right, exactly. Yeah, you're an add-on to the process. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Ziggy, um, we have seen over the years that swinging in general has changed. And one of the biggest changes that we've seen, so when we first started, well, I'll call them hardcore swingers, wherever we went, there was orgies and people were hooking up with four and five and six couples, whether it be at the hot tub at Desire 
or the pool at Hito or in the playroom on the, the Bliss Cruises. People really got into group sex and, and just a lot of people fucking at the same time. And now we're finding um, on a lot of the trips we go on and even the clubs that we go to is that there's a lot of couples having couple sex amongst other people having couple sex and they're at the sex clubs and they're in the playrooms but they're not necessarily swinging and the percentage of that is sometimes larger than the hardcore swingers who are engaged with other couples have you seen that and and researched that as well yes actually it was something that was interesting when, when I, I lived in the states for 25 years and when we moved to the states uh, a lot of the clubs we went to were hardcore swingers meaning that you're there to have sex and no conversation I'm not interested in getting to being your friend. I'm interested in having sex with you. Um, and that has changed uh, because, again, there's an evolution within society that tends to be more towards um, uh, personal enjoyment per se, not so much group enjoyment, if I guess if you, yeah. if you like to call it. Yeah. But one of the things that I found, interestingly enough, and based on what you said, it, it, there's something really interesting that I found is that the 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 number of people looking for women gangbangs has increased, whereby before that did not happen right. per se. That was very rare. It did happen, but it was rare. Um, there was more couples engaging with couples per se. I don't know exactly if I could explain to you, to your satisfaction or your listener's satisfaction, what exactly is going on. But uh, let me suggest to you that research in the last 10, 12 years has suggested that people are having less and less sex, ah, period. Interesting. I'm talking about single people. Much less and less and less sex. So sex is not so much in vogue like it was in Club 54, yeah. for instance. Uh, so that may be reflected in what you're talking about, mm -hmm. that people may be more concerned with their personal immediate relationship, much more so than an overall um, orgiastic satisfaction, if you like. And, 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 I mean, and Dr. Ziggy, we've seen a lot more people exploring their sexuality. They're just doing it within their couple, not necessarily bringing other couples into or their sharing sex their life, partners. Or sharing their partners, yeah. exactly. They do want to try new things and maybe they want to see other new things that would give Even them... Even younger couples. Yeah, absolutely. But not necessarily yeah. sharing their partners as much as we saw in the past. Well, one of the things that was really interesting, I, I did a really, really, perhaps one of the largest studies based on, obviously, surveys. Uh, but I have 4,000 4, uh, sample size, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the one of the the biggest studies that was done in swinging. And uh, one of the things that was interesting is the fact that 68% of the women consider themselves bi friendly or bi curious or bisexual. Right. For instance, only 12% of the men did. Right. A follow up study that I did three years later. The, the number of the men have gone up to 22%. Right. So, um, you know, just to use a, an, an old analogy, when you go to college and you get drunk, you do a lot of foolish things, supposedly, um, uh, under the auspices of exploration. 
maybe people are exploring without getting drunk or being in college. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. It's a possibility. And swinging really provides that opportunity yeah. because it's there. Yeah. And it's not, you can't do anything that is going to upset somebody because you're doing it with your partner. Right, right, exactly. So that may be one of the the rationales. So we certainly have seen that actually in our own experience because we used to go to the Young Swinger events uh, at Hedonism, which was a full takeover of, you know, couples between 25 and 45. We were there broadcasting our podcasts at the time. And it was very interesting when we interviewed a lot of these younger couples where we found uh, probably even a higher percentage than your 22% where men were admitting that they were bisexual or by curious that they would they would welcome uh, you know an exploration with another man if it fit if they wanted to if it was the right chemistry whereas I think in your studies or what you've seen is people wouldn't admit it I think today young men are less shy to admit it we don't have that agreed um, you know, we don't have all Stigmas. of the the, a, the AIDS stigma around them and that they would be willing to try it if the time was right and if it fit well. So I think that's a good push forward that men are actually um, brave enough to admit that they would be okay with that. You know, it's interesting. I advised three categories uh, when I looked at bisexuality because I don't think bisexuality sits by itself in the sort of an encapsulated category. It doesn't. Uh, I'm very much a Keynesian in the sense that I understand Continuums. Continuums right, right. are exactly what we're exposed to. And I, the, the categories that I devised, which initially was for women, was by curious. There's a curiosity about engaging in something and maybe a willingness to explore that. By friendly, in which they would welcome that experience of, of same sex with another woman, per se, uh, but was not their main. They still consider themselves heterosexual. Or bisexual, in which basically they could play for both teams, if you like. Ziggy, uh, I'll, I'll, really I'll, I'll add another one in there. Carol defines herself as bisituational. Yeah, or, or bi-selfish, when it's Absolutely. good for me. <laughs> and, that comes, and that comes with the, with the, the concept of uh, bi-friendly, yes, situational, right. yes. or, or, or bi-curious. Yes. Um, with men, men, if you look at history of sexuality... Men have always explored things in different cultures. You look at the Greeks, you, you look at the Chinese, uh, for instance, you look at the Arabs, which still nowadays, for instance, uh, one of the things that always fascinates me is Iran has no, no homosexuals. But men play with men, but that's not homosexuality. Right, right. So it's the definition of it. And I think in terms of swinging, that allows men to, that opportunity. I have a couple of friends that said, well, you know, I tried it. It wasn't for me. Um, I've been in situations where I was approached, and uh, it wasn't for me. It was not a big turn on. did nothing for me. So we say, well, I'm sorry, but it it doesn't do anything for me. But at least you've had that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can say that that that, that has happened, and you've you've now been comfortable with it or not comfortable with it in terms of your turn on, per se. So I can see how those things tend to sort of sort of expand themselves because, as I said, society 
tends to follow swinging and swinging follows society in terms of its evolution. Yeah. And when we're talking about sex, it doesn't mean we're talking about love relationships. You're not homosexual if you want to try touching another man's penis. Um, It just means you're curious and you want to try. It doesn't mean you want to have a relationship and you're not going to become homosexual the day after. Um, So yeah, it's as long as people are opening their minds and broadening that, that ideal of what is exploration. But it's the same thing with pegging. You know, guys over the years, all they wanted to do was fuck their wife in the ass. And nowadays it's becoming very okay for a woman to put on a strap on and do her husband anally. And it doesn't make him gay. It's just another sexual exploration that happens within a couple. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I always give the example. If you want to look at um, a situational bisexuality amongst men, look at prison. Huh. Go to jails and have a look. Because a lot of guys will engage in sex with other guys, although they they don't consider themselves gay. Right. And once they leave prison, that's done and over with. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, with men, for instance, there's always been the case of women inserting their finger and, and doing prostate massage. Right. For instance. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is something that is that, that guys will say, oh, it's gay. Well, you know, if 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 it turns you on, it's not gay. Right. If it doesn't turn you on, it's still not gay. Yes. No, but if I if I put my finger if I put my finger up Carol's ass, it doesn't make her gay. It just makes no logical sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, I mean, anal sex has been practiced in women forever. Yeah. Uh, but then again, anal sex has been practiced in guys forever as well. Uh-huh. Right. So uh-huh. there's got to be a a reason for these particular behaviors to happen. Well, I'm really happy that things are changing. They are opening up and that these young men that we met at the resort and interviewed are are welcoming the idea that they're open to trying something if the situation is right now, for them. Now, Dr. Ziggy, I want to I wanna just move on before I ask, you know, why do swingers swing? I, wa- I want to ask another question, which is, you know, what makes couples want to try consensual non-monogamy? And I know we've spoken on our show lots and lots and lots about um, mismatched sexual desires, different libidos, different uh, fantasies. How does all that tie together and make a couple better? Like, what if couples have a mismatched sex drive? Is is swinging something that could help them? Well, let me put it to you this way, and 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 and, and again, this is kind of a very comprehensive look at things. Swinging can save your marriage or can be the fastest way to break it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Understand that premises. That swinging is not the panacea that solves everything. But swinging can be a stepping stone towards an, self-exploration. And I think I talked about self-exploration in terms of understanding what your sexual fantasies are. I mean, for instance, you may be married to someone and you are in a loving relationship, emotionally, you're totally connected. But uh, sexually, you don't quite connect quite as well. Okay, you can compromise somewhere along the line. Well, you can compromise in having sex, but it's not part of what really turns you on. So swinging, swinging allows that exploration. I always caution people not to rush into swinging because consider it. Talk about it. Um Explore certain fantasies verbally. You know, um, when I did sex therapy for a few years, I had a practice. Uh, when people, when couples had trouble, I would get 
both partners to write their sexual fantasies by themselves. And then in the session, they would exchange their writings. Mm -hmm. And so the other partner would read the other partner's fantasies. And it was amazing that sometimes um, some people would say, I never knew you like that. Right, right. exactly. And, and, and then the other partner would go, I do, but you never said it. And the, it was usually the guy would say, well, I was afraid that you're going to think I was weird. Right. Or I was, I was a, a, a predator or whatever. Right. When actually this fantasy always existed. So swinging allows for that opportunity to, to share um, fantasies per se or to experience different things outside of that sexual connection that you have with your partner per se. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. Now, as we go through these journeys, what about that question, jealousy? Ah, uh, the green-eyed monster. <laughs> as the, We used to refer to it as the green-eyed monster. Let me tell you the story of a couple that I interviewed and I got to know in Buffalo, New York. He would bring home men for his wife. And, and he would sit and watch men having sex with his wife. And now this, I, I'm quoting the individual. And he says, I would get so jealous and so upset that as soon as they were finished, I was ready to do her. Huh. So he uses jealousy as part of almost his big turn on. Like a fetish. Um, and I, I said, oh, absolutely. So jealousy can become a fetish, believe it or not. But jealousy also suggests that something is missing. And that is jealousy is based on the concept of ownership. I own you and I'm not sharing you, you know, um, why are you doing this to me? Don't you love me? Which is always the question in jealousy. Don't right. you love me? Um, so when you start tying jealousy to, to that concept, you wonder, is that all there is to it? Research really suggests, and this, there's a lot of research in this area, the jealousy may be, uh, part of an evolutionary perspective in which men, because men tend to be very jealous, that men protect that paternity. If I am jealous and I and I guard mate you, I don't allow anybody to have you. I know that 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 child is going to be mine. And women tend to be jealous in terms of resources. Why should I share you with somebody else? Why should you be giving resources to somebody else mm -hmm. when they belong to me? Now, that's the evolutionary explanation per se. But I think in terms of modern times, we, we tend to think of jealousy as almost, um, uh, and again, I want to use the word possessiveness. You belong to me, therefore I want you for myself. Right. I don't want anybody else to enjoy because I am really not sure of myself. Because what happens if you find somebody that is better than yeah. me? Yeah. What happens that all of a sudden somebody is going to give you 20,000 orgasms in one sitting right. and I can only give you one a week? <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, exactly. So it becomes self-reflection. Yeah, it's a security um, issue always, for sure. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of psychology involved in, in the concept of jealousy. Yeah. But that's basically how I sort of give you the, the overall picture. 
And, and of course, when we get asked the question about jealousy, uh, we tell people if you can't control your jealousy, you, you shouldn't be in this swing lifestyle because it's supposed to be for having fun. And if you can't channel it yeah. as a fetish like your other friend you're talking about, then then it might not be for you. So, yeah, we say that uh, swinging yes. is for anyone, but it's not for everyone. That's for sure. And people got to talk about it and really explore that part of it yeah. because jealousy can happen situationally. It can happen on the spot. And what happens if you freak out when your wife or your husband is having sex with someone? What, what's going to happen? Right. No you longer know, fun. Look, no longer fun. Yeah, no. exactly. Listen, we are coming to the end of the show. It's been amazing and lots of fun discussions, but we like to leave our audience with some final advice. So I'd like to ask you, what would you say would be the top two things that couples should consider before they get into any type of consensual non-monogamy? Self-respect is one. And I know that's kind of a very broad topic and there's many different definitions thereof. But understanding yourself is most important, I think. So self-respect involves understanding yourself, knowing who you are, where you're coming from. And the other thing that's perhaps the most important, call it number two, is trust in your partner. Because without trust, nothing's going to happen. I mean, you can have all the fantasies in the world. If trust doesn't exist, or if trust is broken, then their whole thing is just down the tubes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the things, one of the things that we always say is, you know, you need to talk to your partner. Communication is paramount. And when you decide to go into something that's a little bit different sexually, stick with your rules. Don't change them on the fly. Have a great recap when you're done. And if you saw something you really like, do it next time. Just take it slowly, go step by step, baby steps, Carol always says. And there's lots of time to explore and, and um, get through your fantasies. You don't have to do it all at once. Sometimes you go to a swingers club or you go on a vacation and you want to get your money's worth. But just take it little bits at a time. And again, if I may add something, don't forget breakfast the morning after. Yeah, I love that. I, I love like that. that a lot. Yes. All righty. Dr. Edward Fernandez, we call you Dr. Ziggy. Thanks so much for sharing all this great information. Um, if people have any questions, how can they reach out to you and find out more about your research and your blogs? Well, they can probably <laughs> Google Dr. Ziggy. There's a lot of stuff out there. I'm sure they can come across that as well. Or they can get in touch with me through you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. Because, of course, every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information. And, of course, that's where you can contact them as well if you have any questions about their work. On our website, thesexylifestyle.com, right? Right. All right. And we're learning more and more, we're learning more and more every week with all our great guests. We hope you do, too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at askatcarolandavid.com. Wow. It was so great going back six and a half years to our first show, having Dr. Ziggy, our first guest. Thank you so much for being here today. You're quite welcome. Always a pleasure. It absolutely, absolutely is. And we, we have to make the next uh, podcast a little bit shorter in terms of... Uh, wait, wait period. <laughs> wait time. Six and a half years was way too long to have one of the paramount and best researchers on re, uh, the swinging lifestyle, poly... Um, open relationships so we will have you back soon and like we do every week we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out 
Reminder to join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I and Dr. Ziggy send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe and, of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 